If you're visiting with us today, we are glad you are here. One of our joys week by week is to read from the Holy Bible. And so if you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one, or if you're just in need of one this morning, we'd be glad to deliver one to you. We have ushers at the back, and those ushers would love to bring you a copy of the scriptures. Just raise your hand where you are, and they will deliver a Bible to you. And if you have your Bible there, I would encourage you to turn to Galatians chapter one. Galatians chapter one. If you have one of our church Bibles, you will find Galatians on page 913. And if you uh, see the big Galatians across the top of the page, we're starting right underneath that. Galatians chapter 1. You follow along then as I read. This is what Holy Scripture says. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then, 
After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, six months after I graduated university, my monthly student debt repayments started, and they were significant. I was 22, so I had an entry-level job, which means I wasn't making much money, and I even had to pick up a second job bussing tables to try to tackle this insurmountable debt, and nothing. Month after month went by, payment after payment, and no matter how hard I worked, I felt like I was making no progress. I was trapped. I felt enslaved to my debt. Now, praise the Lord, many years later and many payments later, when I saw that student loan account hit zero, that was an incredible feeling because I was free. I was freed from my debt. And as amazing as that freedom felt, and it felt great, Nothing brings greater freedom than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because the gospel cancels an infinitely bigger debt. Really, that's the thrust of the book of Galatians. Paul calls them and us to live free, and true freedom is found in the gospel. Now, as we begin our new series in the book of Galatians, I think there's a couple important things for us to get straight, for us to understand the book uh, of, of, of the whole. First, who is Paul writing to? Well, Paul tells us in the introduction that he's writing to a group of Christians in a region known as Galatia. Now, Galatia was a, a Roman province situated in modern-day Turkey. And this region also included several church plants that Paul himself planted. You might remember Acts 13 where the Lord says to the church in Antioch, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, Paul, for the work to which I have called them. So the church in Antioch sends out Paul and Barnabas and over the course of three to four years, they plant churches in Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. You might also remember that this is where Paul meets the young church planter, Timothy, uh, Timothy was a disciple who was uh, well-spoken of by the other brothers in the surrounding regions. And so Paul meets this Timothy. He takes, with, he takes him with him and continues on the missionary journeys that Paul was commissioned on. And as they go from there, the churches in the surrounding regions were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers. That's Acts 16.5. Paul and Timothy would strike up this very intimate friendship, relationship, and the apostle would refer to Timothy as his true child in the faith in 1 Timothy 1-2. Now, 
Paul's custom on these missionary journeys in each city was to go right into the synagogue to preach the gospel. He preached Christ to the Jews, but he also preached Christ to the Gentiles. And so Paul would spend his time preaching the gospel, making disciples, strengthening the souls of the disciples, and encouraging them to continue in the faith. So he labored day and night. He worked hard. He toiled for these churches. And he became to them, he became to them a spiritual father of sorts. He was, he was willing to labor to the point of persecution. He was even driven out of cities, mocked, and even stoned. And yet through the help of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul stays the course and churches were planted. And because Paul becomes to them a spiritual father of sorts, he's eager to see them grow in Christian maturity, which means that he's protective of them, which leads to the second thing that we need to know about this book. Why is he writing this letter? Well, thankfully, we're clearly told that the Apostle Paul writes to correct a major gospel issue within the churches of Galatia. He's writing to correct an issue. In Galatians 1, 6 and verse 7, Paul says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So the Galatian church was in danger of distorting the gospel. How were they distorting the gospel? Well, some were distorting the gospel by telling Gentile Christians that they had to be circumcised in order to be saved. Let me show you what I mean. You can flip to the end of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Paul says to them, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So some of the Galatians were being hindered from obeying the truth of the gospel by accepting circumcision. So here's a quick Old Testament reminder for all of us. Circumcision was a sign connected to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that demonstrated that one was a part of God's family. So to circumcise, it's to cut off or to remove the male's foreskin. God says this to Israel in Genesis chapter 17, verse 14. The Lord says, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So there's a play on words that happens here. The one who doesn't cut off the foreskin will be cut off from God's people. So to, be, to not be circumcised is to break the Old Testament law. But to accept circumcision 
also means that you have to accept everything that comes with it. All of the laws and regulations, you now are obligated to live by this code. And so Paul would say in Galatians, the one who accepts circumcision and strives to keep the whole law is actually seeking to be justified by the law. To be justified, to be justified means to be declared righteous. It's to be saved. So false teachers were insisting that you still had to be circumcised to be saved. And it's interesting, the same thing actually happens in Acts chapter 15 in Antioch. False teachers come to Antioch and said, this is Acts 15 verse 1, unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So there in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas, they get all up in arms and they confront these false teachers there in Antioch. And now Paul in Galatians confronts the false teachers here and he uses his own plan words. If you caught it in Galatians 5 verse 4, he says, You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. Now as a Christian, accepting the sign of circumcision the severing of your flesh means that you will be severed from Christ and the freedom that Christ brings. So this is an issue that strikes at the heart, the very heart of the gospel. The Galatians were distorting the gospel by adding to it. They were taking Jesus and adding circumcision. But for Paul... And all of the apostles who were entrusted with the gospel message, the gospel is this, Jesus plus nothing is everything. So true faith, true salvation rests in Jesus alone. The book of Galatians then is really all about gospel fidelity which for the apostle is a matter of utmost importance. And he actually has very strong words, as Pastor Paul read in chapter 1. He has very strong words for anyone who would distort the gospel. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Accursed. And I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That word emasculate literally means to cut off or to castrate. It's to go way beyond circumcision, which in my book, those are some serious fighting words. So Paul writes Galatians to bring correction, but he also reminds them of the true gospel. The gospel that he preached to them as revealed by the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel that brings freedom. Again, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. And so Paul is calling all of us here today to live free. And he's calling you and me, he's calling us to the greatest freedom in history kind of freedom that only Jesus could bring. So now, before we turn to look at gospel freedom, the gospel that brings freedom, let's first look at the authoritative deliverers of freedom. 
So verse 1, Paul, an apostle not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. So Galatians is an epistle, which means it's basically an ancient letter. And just like every letter, every written, every message has a messenger. And the book of Galatians is from Paul and the brothers who are with him. Now, Galatians doesn't tell us exactly who these brothers are. We're left to speculate a little bit. It could be Barnabas. It could be the other leaders back in Antioch. It could be ministry partners like Timothy, Titus, Silas, or it could be the rest of the apostles back in Jerusalem. But whoever these brothers may be, what's important is that this epistle has their stamp of approval. And his use of all and all the brothers, it's emphatic. He's showing us He's showing the Galatians that he has strong support for what he writes. The Christians who are with him, they are endorsing the very gospel message that Paul is proclaiming. And then additionally, as he's calling them brothers, he's teaching the Galatian church also that we as Christians, we are the family of God. We are siblings in Christ. He actually extends the same sibling connection to the Galatian church in verse one, uh, verse 11 of chapter 1. He refers to them as brothers. So for Paul, he's addressing the gospel issue, a gospel issue, an issue that's distorting the gospel, but he's also addressing the gospel issue that tears at God's family. So Paul's message, it comes with authority because it's affirmed by other Christians, but arguably more important Paul's message comes with the utmost authority because it bears the mark of an apostle. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle. Now at one level, an apostle is a messenger. In Philippians, uh, Paul sends Epaphroditus to the Philippian church as a messenger, an apostolos. But the way Paul uses it here, an apostle is way more than just a mere messenger. An apostle was someone who had a very special function at a particular time in the establishment of the church. So apostles, they were envoys of God. They were God's representatives. They were commissioned by Jesus to represent him and his message and to establish the church. In Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20, Paul calls all Christians, members of the household of God, which is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So this was, this was Paul's calling. This was the calling that was on Paul's life, and this, this calling came from God himself. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord refers to Paul as a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. That's why Paul can say what he says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So his apostleship, it didn't come from any human source or any human agency. He wasn't chosen to be an apostle by a group of men, which means he wasn't elected, he wasn't voted in, there wasn't some weird case of neptitism. He wasn't even chosen to be an apostle by the other apostles. Paul's apostleship came from God. God made him an apostle. So Paul's 
apostolic authority had divine origins. The Father and the Son work in tandem to choose Paul to bring this message of freedom to the nations. And he begins by declaring his unique authoritative apostleship. And he begins here. He begins here because his office validates his message. If you were pulled over by a police officer, I don't think that would happen to anyone in this room, but if it did, the car, the uniform, and the badge would all tell you that this person has the authority given to him to write me a ticket. And this ticket carries a binding authority. You have to pay this ticket. As Christ's ambassador, the gospel that Paul preached from but that Paul preached is from Christ himself. And the gospel carries a binding authority. You must respond to it because the message was given to him from Christ himself. So by attacking the validity of Paul's message, these false teachers are not only calling into question the validity of the apostleship of Paul, much further, they're actually calling into question the words of Christ. Which means they're actually just doing what Satan did in the garden with Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? You know, some of us might be, might be sitting here today and you might be thinking, that's very foolish. I would never do that. But I think we actually do that a lot more than we think. I know that God says that I'm his child but I'm going to let doubts run wild in my mind. I know that God tells me to love others, but that person is a jerk. I know that God tells me to welcome others, but I really love my own little group. I know that God really wants me. He tells me to be honest, but it's so easy and so small to fudge the numbers on my taxes. See, friends, more than we think, we often call into question God's message to us. And friends, with the help of God, with his spirit in us, helping us and guiding us, that shouldn't be the case. We should trust what he says because he, because he is God, he's our creator, because he demands obedience, but because he also has what's best in mind for us. So Paul's authority, Paul's authority has divine origins, and these origins come with an incredible kind of power. If you caught it, it's the kind of power that can raise dead men from the grave. So Paul says that he's not called by men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So right here in the introduction, Paul references the resurrection. Why? Well, he's telling the Galatians that something different is here. This is a new age. And in so doing, he, he, he's tipping his cards and he's showing us that the gospel is coming. It's no longer about fulfilling the Old Testament law. It's about, me, it's about being made alive by God through Christ. And the same power that God exerted in raising Jesus from the dead, he exerts to us in raising us from the dead through the gospel. So the good news is coming. 
So we've listened and we've heard the authoritative deliverers of the gospel. We've listened to their message. Now we can listen to the authoritative gospel, the message itself that brings freedom. Paul goes on to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Galatians, Galatians is a reminder of gospel freedom to the churches of Galatia. Again, that's Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And this was a letter that was meant to be circulated to each one of these churches. How do we know that? Well, again, at the end of Galatians, Paul says, see with what, le- what, what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So they were all meant to see this letter and to have it in person. Now, most of Paul's letters, they begin with something close to grace to you and peace from God our Father. That's standard fare with the Apostle Paul. But obviously, as we've just read it, Galatians is slightly different. It's it's more detailed. In the introduction here in Galatians, it actually serves as a perfect summary of the main theme running throughout the book, that is the gospel itself. So Paul begins in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins with grace and peace because the gospel begins with grace and peace. So grace, as we all know, it's undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. It's what God extends to all Christians through the gospel. And this favor from God is totally undeserved because all of humanity deserves death rather than grace. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. See, all of us have inherited the curse of sin and death through Adam, who was our representative before God. All of us have rebelled before our Creator. All of us deserve death and eternal punishment. But God shows up and extends grace to us through Jesus. That if we turn to Him, if we turn from our sins and place our faith and trust in Jesus, then he grants us this undeserved, unearned favor. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. So unmerited favor from God. You have been rescued from death through faith in Jesus. And this grace is yours in Christ. But Paul not only says grace to you, what does he do? He adds peace. Now we all think peace, we know peace is a kind of freedom from all disturbances. It's a kind of tranquility. In geopolitical speak, peace is a time when there is no war, no hostility. And I think the same is true in Bible speak. 
You see, again, we were enemies of God. We were hostile in mind, unwilling to submit to him. We belonged to the power and to the prince of, the, of this world. And we were by nature children of wrath, which all means that we were at war with God. But again, God through Christ brings his peace. And this peace that God brings, it's much more than just a feeling of tranquility or a freedom from disturbances. It's the kind of peace that brings a restored relationship that believers have with their creator. If you were to do a quick breeze through the New Testament, you would notice all throughout the New Testament, when you see grace and peace together, you have a kind of theological shorthand that captures the essence of the gospel. So Paul's saying, Grace has been purchased for you. Peace has been made possible for you. And the source of this grace and peace is none other than God himself. God is the one being who is able to give us real freedom. Verse 3 again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice that this incredible unmerited favor comes from both God the Father and God the Son. It's not just God the Father who has the right to give these precious gifts, but the Son does as well. And so Paul places Jesus the Son on par with God the Father because Jesus has the authority to extend grace and peace. But verse 4 tells us that Jesus himself had a very particular role to play. For it was the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the gospel, very clear right here for all of us. And the gospel begins with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the promised Messiah, which means he is the promised deliverer. He eternally existed with God the Father and the Holy Spirit before the foundations of the world. But now he puts on flesh and he becomes human. He lives a perfect life. He never sins. He ministers for three years. He performs all sorts of miracles and teachings. And he proclaims that the kingdom of God is now at hand. And then he goes to the cross and he gave himself. How did he give himself? He gave himself by dying. Though Jesus was fully God and fully man, a miracle in of itself, he was crucified and put to death on a Roman cross. He really, truly died. But his death wasn't, for, his death wasn't by accident. His death didn't catch God off guard. He died for something. You notice that little word for there. Some of the most important words in our Bibles are some of the smallest words. The word for means in the place of or on behalf of. So Jesus' death was substitutionary. He was dying in the place of or for someone else. What did Jesus die for? The text says that he died for our sins. So we've got to ask the question, who is the hour here? Well, who is he writing to? Paul is writing to Christians in Galatia. He's writing to all Christians everywhere. So, see, Jesus' death is not universally applied to the world. We know that. Otherwise, that would lead to universalism. The substitutionary death of Jesus, the death that Jesus died, 
was for all those who would repent and believe. It's for all those who would call upon his name for salvation. Matthew 1.21 happens to be one of my favorite verses. Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Lastly, we have to ask the question, why did Jesus have to die? Because of our sins. Jesus died for our sins. He gave himself for our sins. As we mentioned earlier, we all are born with an inclination to sin. Our sinful actions flow from our sinful nature, and the penalty for our sins is death and separation from God. Because sin is so serious. Sin is an affront to a holy God. I think I'm convinced now more than ever that the more we understand the severity of our sin, the more we'll understand the beauty of the gospel. See, we are all stained, every single one of us. We are all stained by sin, but Jesus has come to blot out your offense. He has come to pay your debt. And friends, again, this is the heart of the gospel. And this is a true call to freedom right here that Jesus came to die in your place. That he took your sins and my sins upon himself and suffered the punishment of God in our place. He did what you and I could never do. And so Jesus serves by giving himself as a substitute to make atonement for our sins. The Lord Jesus would say in Mark chapter 10 verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So friend, I must ask you today, have you come all the way to Jesus? He has gone all the way to the cross for you and made forgiveness possible. And he says, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. And so turn from your sins and believe upon Jesus the road apart from Christ leads to a continued life of enslavement and death. But the road in Christ is a road of grace and peace and true freedom. Friend, come to Jesus. Turn from your sins and turn to him. So Jesus gives himself for our sins. And in so doing, Jesus delivers us from the present evil age. So the authoritative gospel sets us free from the control of sin. So Jesus, he comes. He rescues us from a world that's riddled with sin and death and evil. And as Christians, we are no longer controlled by sin, but we're, fret, we're set free to live for God. That's what the, the, the gospel does. That's what true uh, life does true freedom. It allows us, it sets us free to live for him. See, the issue for the Galatians is that by turning back to legal bondage, by accepting circumcision, they were actually renouncing the deliverance that Christ had won for them. That would be like me continuing to make school debt payments even though the debt was paid. I'd be enslaving myself again. I'd be renouncing the freedom that was mine. But again, Christ, brothers and sisters, has come to set us free. 
He's come to bring true life. Now, I don't have time to go there. We will eventually get there, Lord willing. In Galatians chapter 5, this is where Paul goes. In Galatians 5, uh, when we walk in the true freedom of the gospel, Paul says that we keep in step. We walk in step with the Holy Spirit. So life apart from Christ brings works of the flesh, but we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. God produces in us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says, against such things there is no law. So the gospel, the gospel frees us from the control of sin. And the gospel allows us to walk in step of the Spirit, which allows God to produce the fruit of the Spirit in us. And Jesus does all of this. Jesus does all of this according to the will of our God and Father. It was the Father's good and kind will to send his Son to this earth as a sacrifice for all of our sins, for our sins. A will to which the Son joyfully bends his knee. And Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So all of this saving work that Paul has been telling the church in Galatia and us today, all of this saving work leads Paul to praise and glorify God. He says in verse 5, to whom this all comes from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, God's beauty and God's majesty and his greatness and kindness and the grace that is displayed in the gospel glorifies him. It makes him famous in all of the earth. So now we can truly see why the issue in the Galatian churches was so serious. They were in serious danger of accepting a false gospel that denied the grace of God. Jesus' substitutionary death for them and for all Christians everywhere guarantees our salvation. It was a perfect sacrifice, wonderfully sufficient. But they ran the risk of denying the sufficiency of the sacrifice by adding additional requirements to it. Again, I, I think that we probably do this very often today, more so than we think. Maybe we think something like, I was saved by grace alone, but now I have to read my Bible and pray and go to church to keep God happy with me. Friend, I'd say you are adding to the gospel and taking away your freedom. You may say or think something like, my own holiness, godliness, or discipline improves my standing before God and makes me a better person. Friend, I would say you are adding to the gospel and stripping away your freedom. Sure, I've been justified by Jesus, but now I'm trusting my own self-reliance. You are adding to the gospel and taking away your own freedom. Or maybe we take these uh, strict requirements that we might have in our mind and place those on others, which goes beyond the biblical command. And I would say, friend, you are adding to the gospel and stripping others of their freedom. Brothers and sisters, it is my heart for all of us, for myself, that we would be gospel people. I want every single one of you to be gospel people because the gospel brings freedom. For freedom, 
Christ has set me free. This is what Paul says. In Christ then, you are free from all empty and vain religiosity. In Christ, you are free from the shackles of your sins. In Christ, you are free to live with God and delight in him for all eternity. You know, one of our distinctives as a church is to keep the gospel at the center of everything. So we have very firm confidence that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead. But we also believe that this isn't just a message that we hear one time to be saved and then completely abandon it or forget it. We also believe wholeheartedly that the gospel is a foundational truth that impacts everything that we do, everything that we say, and all that we think. And we believe this because this is what the Bible says. And so, friends, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge every single one of you to live your life in such a way that you are constantly asking the question, what difference does the gospel make in my life here and now? What difference does the gospel make in my parenting? What difference does the gospel make in my singleness? What difference does the gospel make in my marriage? How do I love my spouse in light of the gospel and what Jesus has done for me? What does the gospel mean for my work, for my studies, for my downtime? Friends, I pray and I hope that this is a question that we are constantly posing ourselves and constantly seeking to try to answer through the help of God in our lives. Remarking on the significance of the gospel, Martin Luther, the famous German reformer, he says this. Jesus suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. This is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine in which the knowledge of all godliness consists. It's most necessary then that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. I love that. Friends, I pray that you and I, that we would be gospel people. I pray that, as Pastor Paul prayed, I pray that this would be the kind of church that beats the gospel into one another's lives as often as it takes. I pray that you and I, that we would repent of any yoke of slavery of works that we're placing upon ourselves and that you and I would live free by trusting that what Jesus did on the cross for you is enough. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you so much, Lord. We will never have enough words to thank you for the beauty of Jesus and the freedom of the gospel. I pray for us as a church, if we have heard this gospel message thousands of times, that it would never become white noise. Lord, but that you'd continually pierce our hearts and our minds with this incredible message of freedom. I pray for anyone here today who is yet to respond to this message of freedom Oh God, that, that they would, 
that you'd prick their hearts this morning and lead them to repentance and faith, which is the true path to ultimate freedom. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for laying your life down for us. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.